Welcome to Coffee Time, a podcast series from DBS Group Research on Markets and Economies. I'm Tamur Bey, Chief Economist. Welcome to our 110th episode. Today, it's just your truly, sharing with you my notes from Marrakesh. Global central bank heads and finance ministers gathered over the past week in Marrakesh, Morocco, for the annual meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank Group. The meeting's overarching theme was an uneven global recovery from a multitude of shocks, I call them polycrisis, ranging from pandemic to wars, prices to interest rates. There was also a cautiously constructive view that both the public sector and the markets have proven to be more agile than feared to deal with frequently occurring shocks. So yes, lots of shocks, but the response capability of the shocks have not been that bad. The polycrisis dynamic is striking. Scarring from the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, increasing geoeconomic fragmentation, these are all affecting the global economy in a variety of ways, altering supply chains, raising the cost of doing business, constraining consumption, and increasing risks to livelihoods. Cyclical shocks like sharp interest rate increases, withdrawal of fiscal support amid high debt, and extreme weather events are also highly problematic. These frequently occurring shocks call for, both at the public and private sector levels, tail risk hedging, or as the phrase that was used in the annual meetings, building of redundancy buffers. These efforts would, however, nudge nations to hoard more reserves, FX reserves, that is. Also, they probably will hoard food and fuel, and companies at the private sector level will probably end up investing on de-risking strategies by shifting supply chains and dependencies. We'll talk about this a little more in terms of the cost that comes from these tail risk hedging or imperative to find more resiliency over efficiency. But first, let's talk a little bit about the key forecasts from the IMF's World Economic Outlook publication. First, global growth is expected to slow from 3.5% in 2022 to 3% in 23, and go down even a little more to 2.9% in 24. These are well below pre-pandemic era growth rates. Second, for advanced economies, the slowdown will be from 2.6% in 22 to 1.5% this year to 1.4% next year. What's driving the slowing narrative? Clearly not the U.S., that has been stronger than expected, but the euro area, which has certainly been weaker than expected this year. Third, emerging market economies are projected to slow marginally from 4.1% in 2022 to 4% both in 23 and 24. ASEAN's prospects are somewhat better, and the major driver of EM slowdown is China, with this somewhat underwhelming recovery since the pandemic-related lockdowns were lifted. Fourth, global inflation is forecast to decline steadily from 8.7% in 2022 to 6.9% in 2023 and 5.8% in 2024. But inflation is not expected to return to target till 2025 in most cases. Now, I said earlier that I was going to talk about the cost of various resiliency-related imperatives, so let's talk about that. This was clearly the hottest topic in during the uh, conference, and the phrase that it was used was the cost of geoeconomic fragmentation. The IMF presented work on the weakening of cross-border trade flows, reflecting a sharp rise in trade restriction policies worldwide. By the way, this predates Donald Trump's trade war. Uh, it was probably accentuated by that, but 
worldwide trade restriction measures started going up right after the global financial crisis of 2009. I think this is an important consideration. Regardless of when it started, the fact of the matter is fragmentation is taking place. And the IMF study pointed out that this could lead to fragmentation of global payments, limit gains from digitalization, and reduce global pooling of risk as regions and nations turn inward. Global imperatives like inequality reduction and green transition can also be impeded by geoeconomic fragmentation. There was concern about global spillovers from U.S. monetary policy tightening, 500 basis points and more. Rise in short-term U.S. dollar interest rates has fundamentally changed the cost of capital worldwide. If the high-for-long narrative does take hold around higher-than-trend inflation in the coming years, concerns would extend far beyond financial asset prices. This would make development and green transition more costly, impeding an already tall order. If financial stability is undermined due to the sharp rise in interest rates, that would have adverse implications for the global economy as well. Scarring from the pandemic is considerable. Although the recovery in 22 and so far in 23 has been a testament to some technological and policy achievements. You can think about vaccine development and distribution. You can think about larger allocation of resources to multilateral organizations, which have supported struggling economies. Still, economic activity falls short of its pre-pandemic path, especially in emerging markets and developing countries. An additional but critical consequence of the pandemic has been to accentuate inequality trends. Volatility around economic lockdowns affecting production, jobs, and tourism, the accompanying inflation interest rate shocks, the divergence in policy support across economies and sectors have left widening gaps in income and opportunities both between and within countries. Rising trade and tech restrictions don't help, nor do commodity shocks and wars. Governments and businesses have made efforts, but the magnitude and frequency of shocks over the last three years have overwhelmed many developing economies, and some developed ones as well. Let's talk a little bit about China. Unlike the previous IMF World Bank meetings, there appeared to be greater comfort with China's role in various initiatives. Not much progress has been made to give China greater power and voice in multilateral forums. That, unfortunately, has to wait for another day. But China has nonetheless begun playing consequential roles in debt restructuring in some developing countries. Previous gaps in approach to debt restructuring between China and other creditors, particularly the Paris Club, appear to have closed substantially. China's role in global trade and green transition is central, independent of great power rivalry, and I felt that there was greater degree of recognition of that during the meetings. On green transition, developing countries repeated their call for a just transition, financed by grant, not debt financing from Western nations and multilateral organizations, and, and this is critical, appreciative of income and job security. The ongoing work on expanding multilateral trust funds and financial facilities for dealing with climate change, I mean, these are welcome, but so much more needs to be done in terms of resource generation and allocation. That urgency, I, I hope, would be accentuated by these meetings. The meetings ended with a mid-December 2023 target to complete the review of the resource quotas of IMF members. The goal here is to increase the capital base, which is known as 
equi-proportional increase of quota. But the idea is that there could be more can be done to achieve debt sustainability, reduce inequality, and make progress toward green transition. So that seems likely. There'll be more resources for the IMF in particular. But as far as giving the China's and India's greater voice, it's turning out to be a pretty tough nut to crack for these Washington, D.C.-based Bretton Woods institutions. The meetings did not touch on the future of jobs and the potentially destabilizing impact of AI. Perhaps there were too many things to consider, but I hope global policymakers and regulators are setting aside sufficient scrutiny on potential loss of jobs, as well as the implication of data privacy and copyright. I was also struck by the fact that financial sector vulnerability to high interest rates, especially in the context of the non-bank financial sector, was not discussed extensively. I personally worry about this a lot, especially since there is a paucity of high-quality and timely data from the non-bank financial sector's leverage, duration risk, and so on. Let's hope that's not going to be the thing that trips us up as we go into 2024. Well, that's it for today. Coffee Time was produced by Ken Delbridge. Daisy Sharma and Violet Lee provided additional assistance. Coffee Time is for information only and does not constitute any business advice. All 110 episodes of the podcast series are available on YouTube as well as on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. As for our research publications and webinars, you can find them all by Googling DBS Research Library. Have a great day.